This December marks the beginning of the end of an extremely long, weird year. It is also the month of festivities as well as home to the biggest global health day on the calendar, World AIDS Day. How much do you actually know about HIV and AIDS? Are you up to date with medical advancements? Do you know your own status? What about how you feel towards those living with HIV? Do you discriminate? Are you aware of the ways HIV can be spread? What about the myths? Over the next 20 minutes or so, I will be attempting to break it all down. Why? Because World AIDS Day gives us the perfect opportunity to educate ourselves on something that has the potential to affect every one of us, whether that's directly or indirectly. Whilst this is a very serious subject, my language may get a little bit fruity in parts. Call it passion. But nonetheless, listener discretion is necessary. So we are into the final month of what can only be described as a roller coaster of a year. 2020 has been mad. It's official. So here we are, the month of festivity. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm particularly biased to the amazingness of December because, well, I was born in December. So yeah. But aside from December being the excuse no one needs to overindulge in everything that is not good for us, December the 1st is World AIDS Day. Because sex and wellness is my bit, I feel it's only right we talk about this properly. Sadly, there are still so many myths and false truths that surround HIV and AIDS. And as a result, there's a lot of stigma attached. Quick side note, I remember doing a roundtable discussion with two people living with HIV for a radio show that I used to do. The whole thing was supposed to be informative and, you know, actually give listeners first-hand insight into what living with HIV was like. Imagine. The first thing someone said to me was, how close were you sat to that guy with AIDS? All fucking wrong. Imagine the dude had HIV, not AIDS for one. And more importantly, what does it matter how close I was to him? HIV is not airborne. That one comment made me realise there is such a long way to go in terms of educating people, even then. It is a known fact that ignorance or lack of understanding creates fear and bias. When it comes down to HIV and AIDS, it's no different. First of all, I think it's important to break down exactly what HIV and AIDS is. According to the Terence Higgins Trust website, and just to say I use the Terence Higgins Trust website because they are a very reputable organisation, and I feel that it's important if we're going to be sharing information like this, then we need to use reputable sources. I will, of course, put all the links to all the sources that I use in the description box below this episode so if you want to read further please feel free in fact I encourage you to. Okay so according to the Terence Higgins Trust website HIV stands for human immunodeficiency virus. Now immunodeficiency refers to the weakening of the immune system by the virus. A bit of history for you HIV has been passed on through humans for many decades but was only identified in the early 80s so it only got its name in the early 80s. AIDS stands for acquired immune deficiency syndrome. Now AIDS is a collection of illnesses caused by a virus that people pick up. So illnesses, which is a syndrome, viruses that are picked up, acquire, that makes their immune system weak, immune deficiency. You cannot get an AIDS diagnosis unless you are already 
HIV positive. Going back a little bit again, in the 1980s and early 90s, most people with HIV were eventually diagnosed with AIDS. Things were very different then. Now, thanks to modern antiretroviral treatment, very few people in the UK develop serious HIV-related illnesses. The term AIDS isn't used much by UK doctors anymore. Instead, they talk about late-stage or advanced HIV. I think at this point, it's important to talk a bit more about HIV just to break it down a little bit further. If someone with HIV has a detectable viral load, they can pass on HIV through bodily fluids, through semen, that also includes pre-cum, by the way, vaginal fluid, blood, anal mucus, and breast milk. Now, the viral load in this context refers to the amount of HIV in the blood, which can be confirmed through a blood test. The blood test itself would measure how many particles of HIV are in the blood sample. With the effective use of HIV medication, which is the antiretroviral treatment, also known as ART, A-R-T, the amount of the virus in the blood can be reduced to undetectable levels. So this basically means the levels of HIV are so low that the virus cannot be passed on. So if you're successfully taking your drugs, you're on a treatment, your viral load can be reduced so that basically it's undetectable. I think that's so important because the the advancements in medical science have come so far. Now it seems that HIV can be successfully managed to the point where it is no longer detectable. That's really important. People can also get HIV through vaginal and anal sex without a condom, sharing drug injecting equipment, sharing toys. So if you have sex toys, a mother to child transmission during pregnancy and coming into contact with contaminated blood. On the flip of that, I mean, those are essentially the ways that you can contract HIV. But obviously there are myths, which are from a bullshit, to be honest. Most activities pose no risk. If you're around someone with HIV, unless you're engaging in some kind of sexual activity or injecting drugs, using a shared equipment or coming into contact with their contaminated blood, the risk of you getting HIV is so, well, there is no risk. I just want to refute any random myths because let's be honest there are plenty hiv cannot be passed on through kissing hugging being bitten if someone coughs if someone sneezes, someone shakes your hand you know sharing a toilet sharing a swimming pool sharing household items like a cup plate whatever you cannot get hiv through general social contact i know there are people out there that think oh my god if someone with hiv came near me i wouldn't even want them to touch me it's ridiculous and if we're brutally honest you don't even know who you're coming into contact all right at the moment with covid and everything like that distancing and touching is to a minimum but prior to covid and post covid hiv will still be there you know what are we saying like we need to be sensible we need to be adult about this situation condoms can stop the spread if you're engaging in sexual activity it's condoms it prevents contact with the semen or vaginal secretions and of course blood and it basically stops the hiv from being passed on the virus itself cannot pass through latex if you're going to use a lube then it should be a water-based lubricant because oil-based ones can actually weaken the latex people with hiv who are on effective treatment and have an undetectable viral load cannot pass HIV on through any of their bodily fluid. It's also important to remember that if you do have sex, I mean, we mentioned condoms, but if you're, if you're not having sex with a condom, even if someone hasn't got HIV, there are other STIs and also pregnancy. It's worth wearing a condom anyway, just generally like we want to promote safe sex, safe sex all around. We've got to be safe. At this point, you might possibly be wondering exactly what are the symptoms of HIV. Again, according to the Terence Higgins site, up to six weeks after getting HIV, most people, and this is not everyone, this is most people, experience a short one or two week illness called a seroconversion illness. The most common symptoms of seroconversion include sore throats, fever, and a rash all over the body. Just to break it down a little bit further, seroconversion 
conversion is a sign that the immune system, your immune system, is reacting to the presence of the virus in the body. It's also the point at which the body produces antibodies to HIV. Now, once seroconversion has happened, a HIV test will detect antibodies and that's when you get your positive HIV result. Seroconversion illness can be severe enough to put someone in hospital or so mild, this actually mistaken for like a cold or something like flu. If you do have HIV, your body fluids, and that includes your blood, your semen or your vaginal fluids, and obviously your anal secretions as well, they are going to be highly infectious during the early weeks and months after transmission. So depending on when you became infected, there's kind of like a period after that where you are highly infectious. However, once you are on effective treatment, your viral load will be brought back down. As I said earlier, it could become undetectable and then you, you know, you no longer pose a risk to anybody else. You can't pass on HIV. It could take six months before you become undetectable. Now, as HIV weakens someone's immune system, they may experience signs of other illnesses. Things like night sweats, weight loss, breakouts, diarrhea, even tiredness. These are pretty common symptoms from a, a whole host of different kind of ailments, illnesses. You can just be run down and you can experience all of that. Like these are just kind of like potential symptoms, possible symptoms. Doesn't mean if you're feeling tired or if you have any of these symptoms that you've got HIV or the only way to find out is to have a test. To be sure is to have a HIV test. That's the only way. You can't speculate on this. Also important to know, a weakened immune system may leave someone more open to serious infection. If, however, you leave HIV untreated, it can go through various stages. So the first stage would be seroconversion illness, as we've spoken about. This is known as primary or acute HIV infection. This is what happens shortly after someone contracts HIV, as we've said. The second stage would be the asymptomatic stage of HIV. This happens once the seroconversion is over. Most people feel fine, don't experience any symptoms. And as I said before, this can last for years. This is what is called the asymptomatic stage. Even though you might feel well, at this stage, the virus is active. In your body. It's infecting new cells, making copies of itself, and it's also damaging your immune system's ability to fight illness. Stage three is symptomatic HIV. The longer you live with HIV without treatment, the greater your risk of developing infections that your weakened immune system can't fight is the direct effects of HIV. Stage four is late stage HIV. If HIV has a chance to cause a lot of damage to your immune system, you may become ill from certain serious opportunistic infections and cancers. These illnesses are also known as AIDS defining. I mentioned earlier on that practitioners generally don't use the term AIDS or not as much they'll say like late stage HIV. The AIDS defining illnesses can include pneumonia but it can also include things like TB and some cancers. Most people to be fair living with HIV never really experiences late stage HIV though it does depend on a range of factors including how soon you actually start the treatment so it's important again to be diagnosed to know your status so you can get on the treatment ASAP and as well how you respond to the treatment and the lifestyle that you choose to lead subsequently. I mean we all know that lifestyle plays a huge part in just life and our health generally anyway so it's no different here. Statistics, I want to talk a little bit about statistics because I found this really really interesting. Statistics that were taken for 2019 so last year tell us the most recent estimate suggests that there were 105,000 well just over 105,000 people living with HIV here in the UK. Of these there were around 6,600 who were undiagnosed so they did not know they had HIV. That's mad. I can see how it might happen in certain cases like some people genuinely probably don't know but again looking at some of the stats there are a lot of people that just choose to ignore don't want to go along for these tests don't really keep on top of their health checks and especially sexual health checks when you're sexually active yes that's quite concerning even though 6,600 might be a figure that's coming down over the years which is great 
it's still 6,600 people that don't know they've got HIV too much. Do you know what I mean? London continues to have the highest rates of HIV in this country. 36% of new diagnoses in 2009 were actually in London and 38% of people seen for HIV care were actually living in London. That's the whole of the UK. So London seems to be like a hotspot. Maybe because it's, I don't know, city and it's more dense. I don't know. I, I don't know how, but it just is. Now, according to the NHS website, in the UK, most cases of HIV are caused by having sex with a person who has HIV. So I listed various ways of contracting HIV and that include things like injecting drugs, being in contact with contaminated blood. Here in the UK, the most common way is through having sex with a person that has HIV without using a condom and that's vaginal or anal sex. It may also be possible that HIV can be caught through unprotected oral sex but the risk is much lower and if you are sort of concerned there are things like dental dams and stuff like that. The risk is generally higher if the person giving oral sex has mouth ulcers, sores or bleeding gums. If you've got any of that you probably want to see a dentist or the person receiving oral sex has recently been infected with HIV and has a lot of the virus in their body or another sexually transmitted infection. They're the two reasons where oral sex might be a way of uh, contracting HIV. I think the key thing here or the key thing to take away when it comes to sex is condom use. It is essential in combating HIV. I don't think there's much debate around that. I did mention before, but I want to say again that the virus cannot pass through latex. The latex of a condom, the virus cannot penetrate. So using a condom is actually preventing, it's protecting you. There's no two ways about it. I want to talk about the drugs that are available. As I said before, there's been a lot of medical advancements around HIV. Um, One such advancement is drugs that allow HIV negative people to take before and after sex. That basically reduces the risk of them getting HIV. Now this drug is called PrEP. You may have heard of it. You may have gone to a sexual health clinic and heard about PrEP. It stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. It essentially blocks HIV from getting into your body. PrEP is available for free on the NHS in England, okay, here in England. I think it's available in Scotland as well and Wales. I'm not sure what the details are in Ireland, but again, it's worth checking with your sexual health clinic and they can obviously advise you better. Also, you would need to speak to a healthcare professional to know how to take it and the best ways of keeping it effective, let's say. In addition to PrEP, someone might find themselves in an emergency situation where they have been exposed to the HIV infection. PEP, not PrEP, PEP, PEP may be taken to prevent the virus taking a hold now. PEP stands for post-exposure prophylaxis and this should be taken ideally within 24 hours after exposure but can be taken up to 72 hours later. PEP is not a morning after pill for HIV and it's not guaranteed to work. It just can potentially work but it's not guaranteed. It's meant as an emergency measure to basically be used as a last resort such as, I don't know, if a condom fails during sex. Also worth noting, if you do take PEP, you're not protected from other sexually transmitted infections. It's literally just dealing with the HIV virus. Also pregnancy again that's another potential if you're having sex you run the risk of making someone pregnant if you're having heterosexual sex again i would say seek advice from a sexual health clinic for accurate and most suited information so the reason for all of this information is world aids day according to worldaidsday.org the day itself is an opportunity for people worldwide to unite in the fight against hiv to show support for people living with hiv and to commemorate those who have died from an aids related illness the day was founded in 1988 and world aids day is the first ever global health day. This is something we celebrate the world over because HIV and AIDS can affect anybody, anywhere, anyhow. It does not discriminate.
discriminate. World AIDS Day is also the perfect opportunity to educate yourself, I feel, and to free your mind from presumption and negativity towards those that may be living with HIV. Unfortunately, there is still a lot of that. Also stereotypes. Let's, please, let's just stop all of that. We get the facts. We understand what is what. When we're equipped with facts, we can, we can be better. We can be better people. Stigma is discrimination and it's just not right. It's not right in any sense. HIV can potentially affect anyone and it goes beyond just being sexually active. I mean, heck, God forbid, you could have a blood transfusion. I mean, the chances are so slim, but it's just an illustration of how shit can happen. Like, it can happen. As I said, highly unlikely, but it can happen. You don't know how you're going to wind up. You don't know if you're going to meet someone down the road, down the road, down the line even. They don't know if they're HIV positive. You could end up having sex with them and bang. You know, it's just like that. People don't know. Some people don't know. It can, as, as I've said, it can lie dormant. Unless you're on top of it, unless you're having regular HIV tests, if you're engaging in sexual activity, that's the only way you're going to know. I think people are better. People do understand this a lot more and I would like to believe especially when I look at people in my own circle everyone's kind of on it you know what I mean like your regular checks if you're having sex especially when you're in between partners like oh my gosh it's so important to just know where you're at don't wait until it's too late do you know what I mean don't wait until it's too late with medical advancements proving that we as humans can get a hold on most things including HIV let's not let ignorance prevail another point woo <laughs> the World Health Organization tells us, this is really shocking, tells us one million people die from HIV every year because they didn't know they had it or aren't on treatment or start treatment too late. That's one million people too many. It's crucial you know your status. So that's going to be my takeaway message from this week's episode. You know, it's not been so much giggly, ha 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 ha, haring this week. You know, whilst I think that sex and wellness should be light-hearted where it can be as long as you're getting the sentiment across and if it's a serious sentiment make sure that that's that's driven home there are some instances where there's not much room for kind of laughter or you know banter and I think something like this is definitely one of those areas HIV stroke AIDS is a serious situation it really is my message to you at this point again is know your status if you're sexually active make sure you get regular tests to keep on top of things let's all just be sensible about life I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Hit The Clock. I'm Cheryl and you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Cheryl's World, which is S-H-E-R-R-Y-L-S World. If you do have something to say or you simply want to add something to this episode, please feel free to hit me up on the socials or use the hashtag HTCPod. It would be good to hear from you. Until next week, take care.